This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. TV. I'm Stacey Washington, and I am the host of this fantastic, uh, you know, program that we're doing here right now. And today on the show, we are going to be delving into a couple of different things that have happened just recently. Now, first of all, last night was debate night, and I don't know about you, but I didn't watch it. Now, I caught the highlights, and I understand that there was a lot going on, uh, especially on the topic of pro-life. And then there was this big uh, kind of I don't know what we could call it, maybe Joe Biden just being Joe Biden, but he had what Brett Baer called a word salad. And during the word salad, it was just uh, anybody's guess as to what he was talking about. So we'll be delving into that. Um, I'm really excited about hearing any Democrat, and I'm serious here, any Democrat decide on an issue and then explain their position on that issue, whether it's for or against, and to make that explanation in its entirety without referring to Donald Trump. Because last I checked, we're in America. This is not a monarchy. Donald Trump will not be serving until he's deposed or until he passes away, God forbid. He's actually got a limit on the time he can serve. His current term is up next year. And if he wins another four years, that's the max for him. He can only do two terms. He cannot go any further. So the idea that every argument has to be framed as an opposition to Donald Trump is really short-sighted on the part of the Democrats. And, l- and let's face it, I'm Stacy on the right. I don't care anything about them winning. I don't want to see them doing fantastic things. I don't want their ideas and their reality to be my reality or to have to live under their rule and authority. But I do think for the sake of Americans' time not being wasted, and for the sake of people who are watching them argue, watching their behavior and learning from them, that we could do better than this. I mean, I don't mean we could do better. We have to do better than this. So uh, I want to start off with, it's it's a video clip. It's Joe Biden from last night. And dude was in rare form. He literally, I guess he was just like, I'm going to just keep talking until I can't talk anymore or until she says, you're done talking, one or the other. So here he is. Um, I think it's cut one. No, look, I, uh, demonizing wealth people, what I've talked about is how you get things done. And the way to get things done is take a look at the tax code right now. The idea, we have to start rewarding work, not just wealth. I would eliminate the capital gains tax. That in, I, would, I would raise the capital gains tax to the highest rate of 39.5%. I would double it. Because guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make, in fact, pay a lower tax rate than someone who, in fact, is, uh, like I said, the, a school teacher and a firefighter? It's ridiculous, and they pay a lower tax. Secondly, the idea that we, in fact, engage in this notion that there are one point, there's one trillion, $640 billion in tax loopholes. You can't justify a minimum $600 billion of that. We could eliminate it all. I could go into detail head at a time. Secondly, I mean, thirdly, what we need to do is we need to go out and make it clear to the American people 
that we are going to. We are going to raise taxes on the wealthy. We're going to reduce tax burdens on those who are not. And this is one of the reasons why these debates are kind of crazy, because everybody tries to squeeze everything into every answer that is given. The fact is, everybody's right about the fact that the fourth industrial revolution is costing jobs. It is. The fact is also corporate greed. If they're going back and not investing in their employees, they're reinvesting and buying back their stock. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. See, Thank you, Mr. Vice So haven't we all been there? First, I just want to say to Joe Biden, welcome to reality. Word stream, stream of consciousness, um, just you know, basically getting your flow going on and just letting it rip. We've all been there, but we aren't all trying to be the president of the United States. And I have nothing against people in their seventies running. I'm not an ageist at all. I think the life experience really serves people well. I don't want a 30 or 40 year old person. Obviously you have to, the, the mandate is you cannot be a, you know, early thirties person. I think you have to be 35 or older to be the president anyway, but I don't want someone in their 30s or their 40s to be the president of the United States because I've been in my 30s um, and now I'm in my early 40s. And I got to tell you, there's a whole lot of stuff that I know this decade that I didn't know the last decade. And I imagine I'll feel the same way when I'm in my 50s. So when one of the things that I think is super important is it's that's not a slam on millennials or anyone who's not in their 50s or 60s or 70s. It's just a matter of fact that we have more life experience the older we get. And hopefully, especially when speaking of presidential candidates, that life experience includes the ability to cogently explain why you are for or against something. At one point last night, Joe Biden was asked about his son's relationship with the Ukrainian uh, company Burisma Holdings and why it was okay for the president of the United States at the time, which was Barack Obama, to say he wouldn't ever have a family member working for a foreign government Yet his vice president did exactly that. Why was that okay? And Joe Biden said, impeach Donald Trump. Now, remember, whenever President Trump has used a mechanism other than a direct answer to parry on a question, he has always been, well, looks like he's mentally ill, he's senile, he's deranged, we should use the 25th Amendment to remove him, you name it. And anything goes when it comes to tearing down President Trump. But when it comes to Joe Biden, we're supposed to just excuse that and say, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> Uncle Joe. No, uh-uh. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. That answer is unacceptable. Now, let's let's kind of work our way through it if we can. First of all, it sounded as if he almost, just for a split second, I was all about it. I was here for it 100%, was going to eliminate capital gains taxes until he realized that his mouth didn't match his Democratic Party positions, and then he reversed that. Secondly. He conflated um, clipping coupons with investment banking. Now, let's look. Can I just let's let's just okay? I, I I'm getting a little flummoxed here because I know people on both ends of that spectrum, and I myself have clipped coupons. I also have a couple of friends who are in that bracket where they can just investment, like they're they just do investments. That's all they do. They don't have job jobs like I do. They they have the ability to just invest their money and live off of the earnings. And so the idea that they're not price vert, which is German for, you know, price conscious, that they don't care anything about how much things cost or where they buy things from, or that they're not uh, actually concerned about policy in America, or that they're somehow like aliens dwelling among us is just ludicrous. Second of all, I think 
the comparison doesn't work at all because investment bankers are looking at the market and they're a part of it. And what they're doing with their investments is they're really spurring on more economic growth. So there's no reason to demonize them. Uh, it's also no offense, because I, I said I clipped coupons when we were in our 20s and we had our first child. I, I was clipping coupons so I could stay off from work. I literally went back to work after having our oldest daughter and her daycare situation was, it was actually a great daycare that really a girlfriend of mine who was very close to, her son had been there and he was like five years old. So he was there for the first three or four years of his life before he went to preschool. And she told me, this is the best place you can send, but they weren't used to breastfeeding. So they were doing all kinds of things with the milk. And my baby was crying all day long. I would go pick her up and she would have cried herself to sleep and she'd be covered with like a thin film of sweat. I'm telling you guys, I was freaked out. I lasted almost two weeks. And then I just, I said to my husband, I'll clip coupons. We'll stop eating out. I won't buy another stitch of clothing for myself if I can stay home with this baby. And that's what we did. And I stayed home for full time for like 15 years. Um, so, you know, it's what I'm saying is we don't have to elevate coupon clipping moms to a status where they're so much more special or, or unique or better than people who are investment bankers who also help our help our economy. This isn't about one group of people being better than another. It's about being able to explain why you support something. I have not heard Joe Biden or any of the other candidates explain how their increases in taxes, and I think it's up to $93 trillion in spending that they want to introduce the minute they become the president, how any of that actually benefits coupon clipping moms, suburban minivan driving moms, uh, upper class, you know, uh, five vacation a year moms. I mean, speak to one group, speak to anybody. If you could just say something, it would be fantastic. Um, so a few other things about that statement. Um, first, he said, well, I don't like these debate you know, formats where you have to try to get everything into one question or one answer. You, you get asked one question and you have to try because you're not going to get a chance to speak again to get all these things in. Well, what they could do is increase the requirements and then they'd have fewer people on the stage. The minimum threshold for getting on that stage and speaking to all of America should be higher than what they're presently working with. Now, I know you might say, well, the Republicans did the same thing last time. They did. <laughs> and I hated it then, too. We would sit at a girlfriend's house. I have a friend who she's always the debate host. We would go to her house. We'd have some hors d'oeuvres on the coffee table, you know, throwing back a few glasses of wine and watching the debates. And I would be busily, you know, live tweeting. And it was the Republican debates. And I remember thinking, and we even said it out loud, these guys don't have enough time to talk, to answer the question, because there's so many of them. And we really would just kind of devolve into our own discussions about the topics and not really hearing from them in the best way because there were too many of them. So this is the same type of thing that's going on here. Um, I also think, oh, geez, um, if you think this is bad, what do you think he's going to be like next year when he's a year older and he's even more exhausted from the campaign trail because that, that's what happens. I find myself doing the same thing. I'm in one train of thought and then I jump to another one. And it's usually when I'm tired. When I'm overtired, that happens to me more often. So I can actually identify with what Joe Biden is going through. But I still think it's an indication that he's not the best candidate. Now, can he run? Can he win? Um, remains to be seen. So this is, this is kind of how that went. Double the capital gains tax. Eliminate tax loopholes, 
raise the income tax rate on the wealthy, lower it for those who aren't, um, raise the capital gains tax to 39% and then double it. What? So obviously this man is not prepared to discuss any issues. He just doesn't have anything that he can say that, that is a good answer. But let's go to a story that really matters here. Um, and I found this, this is a few years old and I didn't know anything about it because mainstream media, not reporting on it. So Joe Biden tells this story. And I think this is a question he should have been asked about last night at the debate. The story is about the death of his wife and daughters, first wife and daughter. His two sons survived the crash. And it's, it's a pretty simple story. They're driving along the highway and the wife veers in front of a tractor trailer who then veers and swerves to avoid the, the car and ends up overturning the tractor trailer. And he survives, renders assistance to the wife and daughter, but they pass away. So Joe Biden tells the story as the man was a drunk driver. He was drunk driving. Basically, Joe Biden, the quote from him is, the man drank his lunch instead of eating it and then ended up killing his wife and daughter. Now, the problem with this story is the police actually looked into that. They checked the man for drunk driving. He wasn't drunk. They think that the wife had turned around to look in the back seat for something, and that's when she veered over, causing the accident. So it is a true accident, no fault. Not, not something that you would say, I'm going to take this to the campaign trail and elicit sympathy from other people, unless the sympathy is for, the, for what happened. He lost his wife and daughter in a tragic accident. But instead, he has spent the last umpteen years defaming this man. So his daughter, the, the guy passed away in 1999. Uh, his name was Curtis C. Dunn. And his daughter is Pamela Hamill. And the story that I'm reading you is from October 30th, 2008, where Dunn actually describes how she used to be a Biden supporter until she'd actually uh, exchanged letters with him about the tragic nature of the accident and how, because it happened on December 18th, their, her father never enjoyed Christmas again after that. He was deeply scarred by this and, and it changed his life. And so according to Delaware Superior Court Judge Jerome O'Harrahy, who oversaw the police investigation 36 years ago as chief prosecutor, 36 years ago as of October, 2008, y'all. So 47 years ago, but by this year's standards, there was no uh, evidence to support Joe Biden's claim that Mr. Dunn was driving while under the influence. In fact, the rumor about alcohol being involved by either party, especially the truck driver, Dunn, is incorrect, Harry He said recently, according to this article, which is over at the Newark Post, Newark Post Online. So... They filed no charges against him, who, and this man at the time, he lived in Northeast Maryland with his wife, Ruby, and their seven children. Now, Biden has been alluding to alcohol being involved in the crash for about 10 years at the time of this writing in 2008. So 21 years of him lying on this family. Now, this story was written back when Joe Biden was a vice presidential candidate on the ticket with Barack Obama. And the story that he's told about a drunk driver killing his wife and daughter has been repeated on radio and television and even by major news journalists, including CBS anchorwoman Katie Couric, uh, the Washington, the New York Times, um, just a number of different 
major news outlets have accepted his retelling of the events as fact. So their family has been defamed. And they wrote a letter. She's, and this is what she said. She said her, she first defended Biden, believing that his words had been misconstrued and that he wasn't blaming her father for the accident. But then her disbelief turned to anguish when she was shown a video of Biden making this unfounded assertion during a public appearance. Biden said, quote, a tractor trailer, a guy who allegedly, and I never pursued it, drank his lunch instead of eating his lunch, broadsided my family and killed my wife instantly and killed my daughter instantly and hospitalized my two sons. Now, first of all, it wasn't a broadside if she swerved in front of a tractor trailer. That's the first thing. Hamill says she burst into tears. She said, the story is already tragic enough. Why did he have to sensationalize it by saying my father was drunk? My family is outraged. So she went on Inside Edition on September 18th of 2008 to set the record straight. And now she's the family spokesperson and she began campaigning way back then to try to set the record straight. Now, she also sent a letter asking CBS uh, officials to instruct Katie Couric to broadcast the real circumstances surviving, uh, surrounding the, the fatal accident. She did not hear back from CBS. She didn't hear back from Biden's camp who she sent a letter to requesting that he just stop defaming her family. Um, she wrote again in 2001, expressing her father's profound grief after hearing Biden make a post-September 11th speech in which he told the audience that given his history, he could empathize with the victims. It, this is kind of unbelievable. So I know that every news outlet isn't going to find every single thing a candidate has ever done, but you're telling me that CNN, with that huge stable of journalists and investigative reporters that they have, they're unable to find out anything more about Joe Biden. This is not the kind of thing that should go unanswered. He should be asked about it on the record. He should be forced to either substantiate or admit that he has been retelling the story incorrectly. These are the only options that exist, and especially if he's running for the presidency. So I want to make sure you know about it. That's part of what this show is about. The news that they're not going to touch, we're going to be all over it. Uh, so now I want to go to another clip, and this is Tulsi Gabbard last night from the debate. And so her, she's the most Googled person in America last night after the debate. There was a mashup of different things she said. Her Syria comments were really, they're being examined this morning and poured over with a fine-tooth comb because she's an Army veteran, um, Army National Guard, I believe. I'm an Air Force veteran. I have a different opinion than she does on what we're doing in Syria. We can get into that, but this particular clip is about her basically separating herself from the herd on the life issue. She feels that if you're in the third trimester, you shouldn't be able to have an abortion unless your health or your life is in danger. Let's take a listen. This is often one of the most difficult decisions that a woman will ever have to make, and it's unfortunate to see how in this country it has for so long been used as a divisive political weapon. Uh, I agree with Hillary Clinton on one thing, disagree with her on many others, but when she said abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, I think she's correct. We see how the consequences of laws that you're referring to can often lead to a dangerous place, as we've seen them as they're passed in other countries where a woman who uh, has a miscarriage past that six weeks could be imprisoned because abortion would be Ill illegal at that point. 
Uh, I do, however, think that there should be some restrictions in place. I support codifying Roe v. Wade while making sure that during the third trimester, abortion is not an option unless the life or severe health consequences of a woman. So severe life health consequences of a woman are uh, at risk. That, that's what she said. Now, I actually am uh, putting me in the shock category. This is, she's the first Democratic presidential candidate to come out in favor of any restrictions on abortion. Now, she says she wants to codify Roe v. Wade as, you know, basically unassailable, that you can't change it, which is, it would be interesting to see that actually happen in America, since none of the other things that we have that are, are have gone up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has ruled in one way or the other have been unassailable. I personally am really glad that uh, the Supreme Court eventually went on to overturn their decision in Dred Scott, which said that, you know, I don't care what kind of human being you look like, you're property. Uh, I'm pretty glad about that because I'm one of those human beings who would have been property had that not been overturned. The Supreme Court has been wrong before. They're wrong on the life issue. Uh, but it is interesting to see her not hold the same orthodoxy as the rest of the Democrats. Where will this go? Will she actually gain momentum and actually like get get enough uh, poll support from Americans that she can move forward and, and kind of make that last final tier? I don't know. Democrats seem to be in a romance, like a, a lip lock, if you will, with <laughs> this idea that they have to be radicalized to the tune of Bernie Sanders, who coincidentally... Um, he just was a non-event last night. I, like, out of all the things, if you're just, if you're like me and you just said, I'm not watching this thing, there's too many people. Um, if you're like me, you went out there and you looked for clips and things that were like, this is who everyone's talking about. Everyone's talking about Joe Biden, Tulsi Gabbard, Elizabeth Warren, and of course, crazy Kamala Harris. No one's talking about Bernie Sanders. I mean, sure, Sanders folks, Bernie bros are, but not, not serious people. So it's interesting. Um, so I also want to talk a little bit about yesterday here in St. Louis was the Pastors Appreciation Luncheon for Bot Radio Network, which is the Christian radio station here in town. And I was the keynote speaker and I spoke about three stories. Three stories was the title of the the uh, the, the speech that I gave. And um, I just want to give you a preview. I'm going to be sharing some of that here on LifeSet TV um, upcoming, we're, we're still kind of in launch mode. And that's what makes this so fun because we get to decide what we want to do here. And we do have a, a, this huge opportunity to do something fun with online television and reaching people like yourself. So I just encourage you to share the show and to stick with us and just share the show, like share it, go to lifeset.com, um, read the articles, share them, tweet them, and just stick with us. We're we're here for the long haul, and I'm I'm so excited about what we're able to do. So, uh, last subject for today, and this is some weirdness that I just haven't been able to kind of get uh, my mind wrapped around, and that is Hannah Gadsby, a person I've never heard of before. GQ is doing this thing called. Um, well, let me get it right. I want you to to get the wrong information here. It's like a an examination of masculinity. And now GQ is an online magazine for men. Hannah Gadsby is a lesbian. She's, you know, kind of looks dude, dude at dude, dude light. Um, and she's written an article called Hannah Gadsby on why men should be more ladylike. She's also, uh, she's made a stand up special called Nanette. 
It was the most discussed comedy act of the Me Too movement. And she says she's experienced homophobic violence. And that is the sharp humor that she uses to critique misogyny. Um, she's actually got a new show called Douglas that will hit Netflix next year. And so she's going to be someone we're hearing more from in the future. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of just touch on this, which is G this is found in the online version of GQ's new masculinity issue, which is according to them, an exploration of the ways that traditional notions of masculinity are being challenged, overturned and evolved. Oh my. Okay. So she just wrote a short essay here in which she asks men to look at all of the traits that they believe are feminine and interrogate why they're so obsessed with being the opposite. Now, I think there's something she's ignoring here, which is the innate characteristics that come along with being a testosterone-laden man. This is not something that we should rail against, nor does it preclude men from having good behavior. So there's, there's a conversation to be had here. And I felt like mocking this. I felt like making fun of what she's saying, but there's validity to saying men need to be more empathetic in the same way that women have to be encouraged to be more assertive. Now, you can be naturally assertive, like you're already there, you, you're assertive, you're kind of born with that as a woman. You can also be naturally retiring, timid, or, or more of a mild-natured person, and that can be your natural bent. And so you have to kind of work, if you want to assert yourself in the business world or wherever you're operating, you have to kind of work at it. There's nothing wrong with wanting men to be more empathetic or to want women and men who are parenting to raise children who are more empathetic, regardless of their gender. The problem that I have is that there's a continual drumbeat going on in society today that says that men cannot be masculine. And that is detrimental to our society because as women are feminine and remain in the power of femininity, it actually makes for a really good relationship between masculine men and the complementarian nation nature, complementarian nature of men and women. So men and women complement each other. It doesn't mean that women can't be assertive and strong. And it doesn't mean that men can't be nurturing and caring. They are. Instead of framing this conversation around toxic masculinity or that men need to be less masculine, you can be a masculine male and still have traits that make you attractive to women and a good caregiver, whether it's to other women, whether it's, it makes you a good caregiver in the sense that you're empathetic towards people at work, that you listen to other ideas, that you allow others to lead. These are not things that are unique to masculine people, to men. I've met plenty of women who will overtalk you, run you down with their words, women who are assertive to the point of being obnoxious, women who won't allow anyone else to lead or anyone else to even offer an opinion on, you know, I, I mean, you'd be amazed at what PTA meetings can be like and other groups where it's all women or mostly women and we're running stuff at school. I, I think I would say I've been to meetings for that type of stuff that have been as contentious as any place, uh, you know, any CEO meeting you've ever seen on TV or heard about from someone who's in board meetings. I mean, I, I'm serious. Women can hold their own on being assertive. So she says here, I want to read a quote for you. Um, Women are always being encouraged to stir masculine traits into their feminine recipe. We're told to be bolder, speak up in meetings, exaggerate your skills, all that lean in sort of crap. So perhaps it's time for you, the men, to be more ladylike. How about you scale back your confidence? No. 
How about you try not to act in every situation? Why would a man do that? What if you tried to refrain from sharing your opinions and co-opting other people's ideas? Well, that is not strictly something that men only do. Women do that too. How about yielding to people walking in the opposite direction? Okay, that's just rude. And I've, I've had that done to me on the sidewalk here in St. Louis, walking with our three-year-old and four women were doing a whole sex in the city vibe thing where they were walking and swinging their hair around and they almost ran us over. They were so busy looking cute and walking, they didn't give us any room on the sidewalk. Should they be told that they're too masculine? They were four women. So I think the idea of having a conversation about improving behavior between people and society is one that's worth having. I think demonizing men and calling masculinity anything other than what it is, which is a natural male trait, is a dangerous recipe. And it also props up this idea. She's basically saying, men, make yourselves indistinguishable from women. What is that all about? Why do liberals want to erase the differences between the sexes? The things that make us attracted to men as women, the things that make men attracted to women, we shouldn't try to erase those things. Good behavior should be something that we're all interested in propagating and making more of, and it doesn't have to be the, at the expense of masculinity or femininity. I would love to be able to tell her that, but I kind of have on the mindset that since she's making a business out of this stuff, she's actually making a living working for Netflix, demonizing masculinity, she probably wouldn't want to hear from me. But, you know, there it is. Um, that that's, that's what she's up to. So um, I have tweeted out the link to this on my Twitter feed at Stacy on the right, and you can find it there. And that's going to be it for us today. That's the show. Uh, it is such a pleasure to be with you. Find me on Twitter at, at Stacy on the right. Same on Instagram and my website is StacyOnTheRight.com. 